is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I'm Larry O'Connor, firmly ensconced in the bunker tonight, and I appreciate Mark Levin for letting me have the keys to the bunker. It's nice here, actually, air-conditioned, thank God. And I'm glad you're here with me. Uh, for uh, those of you who don't know, I'm a radio talk show host as well. I do mornings on WMAL in Washington, D.C. That, by the way, is uh, Mark Levin's morning show. So I wake Mark Levin up every day. Imagine how that goes for me. Uh, my pronouns, by the way, are me, myself, and I. I'm just that narcissistic, and I suggest you do the same thing. I want to hear from you tonight, all night long, at 877-381-3811. On this Friday, we end your week on a strong note and end it the right way here on The Mark Levin Show. 877-381-3811. And in a bit, I definitely want to talk to you about what's going on in Afghanistan. And if you served there, thank you. We honor you, and we want to hear from you. As the Washington Post... The compost, I believe it's referred to in most quarters now, has a headline that says, Why did my friend get blown up? For what? Afghanistan war veterans horrified by Taliban gains. It's not just Taliban gains. It's a complete and utter failure of the leadership of the Biden administration and the leadership of the brass at the Pentagon. Yeah, all right, I'll say it. It's absolutely a failure of the leadership, the military leadership. This is about the suits, not the boots. This is about the brass, not the guys who were kicking, well, what rhymes with brass in Afghanistan. You guys, you gals, you did your job. You did your duty. You did what you were supposed to do. You did what you were told to do. In fact, you did what you were told to do even when you knew that what you were told to do wasn't really going to cut it, wasn't enough. The rules of engagement weren't actually going to get the job done. But the problem was you weren't really told what the job was, were you? Ultimately, it looks like the job was an impossible task. And we now have a commander-in-chief who took the reins of this situation and has completely fumbled it. He's fumbled it in the same way that he fumbled the rollout of this vaccine in this country. Yet President Trump and the team come up with Operation Warp Speed. It was a, a God's honest miracle to get that vaccine done, handed it off to this administration, and look where we are right now. And that's exactly what you're looking at with this pullout from Afghanistan. Now, listen, I, I want to be clear here. I do really sincerely want to hear from you on this at 877-381-3811 on the Mark Levin Show, especially if you served or if you have a child that served or if you have a parent that served. Because I'd love for you to ask, answer that question from the Washington Post. Why did my friend get blown up? For what? I think you fought nobly. I think you fought for a cause, a good cause, an important cause. That cause then went astray. And I feel like the men and women who wear our uniform, who sacrificed, literally sacrificed, in some cases, everything they could in Afghanistan, they've been betrayed. Now, let's be clear here. I'm not sitting here in Mark Levin's bunker utilizing his incredible program and his incredible influence and I'm not telling you that I don't think it was time to go, that it was time to leave Afghanistan. It obviously was time to leave Afghanistan. Listen, we were told that we had to go there and we committed the so-called boots on the ground 
so that we could chase down Osama bin Laden, chase down al-Qaeda, dismantle al-Qaeda, overturn the Taliban, who had given aid and comfort and support and security to al-Qaeda so that they could plot against us in the most horrific attack on our country in our history. That's what we went there to do, and that's what we did. We chased him down. We chased him out. It took us quite some time to actually find him and give him what he ultimately deserved. But I'm not breaking new ground here to recognize that the rules of engagement and the mission changed after that. We were sold on the idea that we had to go to Afghanistan to get those people who hit us. And we had to get them, and we had to hit them back. The people who knocked these walls down are going to hear from all of us soon. Remember, we were on board with that. All of us. In a rare moment in recent history of unanimity, of, of uh, solidarity, yes, we were all on board with that. As for a couple of fringy nuts, nutsos, we were all on board with that. Then the mission changed. Then the mission changed. And then we had a president running for president, a senator running for president, Barack Obama. Remember how Barack Obama ran for president in 2008? Remember the, the nasty, mean-spirited, disingenuous, unpatriotic rhetoric that he would use in 2008? He was diminishing the uh, sacrifices of John McCain that he gave when he wore the uniform, when he fought in Vietnam, diminishing John McCain when he was running against him, diminishing and undermining and undercutting President Bush. Remember the things that he would say, that, it's about time we stop building roads in Afghanistan and building roads here, remember? Remember? Oh, yeah, we need to work on the infrastructure here in America instead of building the infrastructure in Afghanistan. He told you he was going to pull out of Afghanistan until he got into office and then eight years later we were still there we were still there we were still committed we were redoubled and recommitted and everyone's looking around saying what is going on here so then we had another man run for president and this one really meant it we've got to get out of afghanistan it's got to be time to get out of afghanistan he was running against hillary clinton who you know let's face it willing to commit troops wherever it makes her look good Wherever it helped her and her party make her look like she was tougher than she really was. Sure, it's not, not her kid that's going to be sacrificed. It's not her blood that's going to be spilt. Sure. What was it her uh, uh, husband's secretary of state used to say? Madeleine Albright, what's the point of having this great military if we're not going to use it now and again? They loved using the military for their own purposes as their own pauses to make them look good, to make them look like they were tough. So, of course, Hillary Clinton, they don't know, oh, we got to stay there. Oh, wouldn't be prudent, wouldn't be prudent. Donald Trump said, get out, and he won. So we have two presidents now winning elections based on the idea that it's time to pull out of Afghanistan. Now, I'm laying all of this out here for you. Because he then ran against another president, Joe Biden. They both basically said, yes, we've got to get out. I mean, who knows exactly what Joe Biden said when he was running for president. But for the most part, he didn't disagree. They both agreed that we had to get out of Afghanistan. There was only a question of how you dot those I's and cross those T's. So let's be clear here. Since the 9-11 attacks and since the original mission and commitment of military forces in Afghanistan, we have had one two, three men run for president, all with the same promise that we've got to get out of Afghanistan. One of them, as soon as he got into office, ignored it like he ignored all the things that he said when he ran for president. That was Barack Obama. He didn't carry the name. He just said what he needed to say to get elected. 
Donald Trump really meant it and put a plan together, and it was in the process of rolling out, although part of that plan had to do with sending a message to the Taliban that if they violate any of the conditions of the pullout, we would stay and we would hit them and we would strike them hard. You remember last year, that's exactly what happened. And then it gets handed over to Joe Biden. And now look where we are. The reason that I lay this out here for you is this. We've been there 20 years, give or take a couple of months. Our Pentagon leadership, the brass, the generals, the admirals, they have been in charge of our military forces on the ground. Your brothers, your fathers, your uncles, your children for 20 years. And maybe it's me, and I, and I am looking for your expertise on this. To be fair, I did not serve, but I have many friends who have served. I have many people who have been in Afghanistan for multiple tours, who know the people involved. I've been talking to them and, and, and coordinating with them all day here. And they will back me up on this notion. We have been there for 20 years. At some point, at some point, maybe five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. Actually, I would argue at the point that you actually committed our troops to the ground in Afghanistan, the leadership, the military leadership, the national security so-called experts should have had a packet of paper with the exit strategy. When you commit our men in uniform to lose their limbs, to lose their lives, or if they do come back, sadly, in many cases, to lose their sanity because of what they saw over there on our behalf. When you commit them, the least you owe them is a plan to get out when it's time to get out. Now, we've been told that they're executing that plan now, and look at what is happening. Look at what is happening as we are on the verge of Kabul falling to the Taliban. They are 30 miles outside. That's it. This, I, I'm not kidding. This could change over the course of the next three hours during this program. They could actually be knocking on the doors of the capital city itself while we're on the air. That's how fast things have moved just in the last 12 hours in Afghanistan. Now, it seems to me there are two things going on in Afghanistan right now with regard to the U.S. military and our exit from Afghanistan. Number one, they had no plan. They have no idea what they're doing. At no point did they actually think this through, war game it out, plan it, and put together a cohesive plan to get out so it isn't the disaster that we're seeing right now which it would be a complete and utter failure of our military leadership and the civilian leadership of the Biden administration. Or, number two, we're witnessing the plan. Number two is frankly scarier than the first. The second option is, oh yeah, they had a plan. This is the plan. So for 20 years now, your sons and your brothers and your fathers, and your uncles, and your coaches, and your friends, and your pastors, and your plumbers, and your mailmen, and all of the men you know who voluntarily put on that uniform 
going into harm's way, knowing that we are in the middle of a war over the last 20 years, knowing they could be deployed to Afghanistan on the other side of the world to fight for this country that apparently doesn't even want to fight for themselves. For 20 years, they were committed to this cause and put in harm's way. And over the course of those entire 20 years, their leaders had either no plan or a disaster of a plan to get out. I don't see what a third option is. And that, that my friends, is unacceptable. And, and, it, it, and I don't care what your political affiliation is. I don't care. I, I was gung-ho in favor of getting into Afghanistan. I was right there with President Bush when he stood on that rubble with the, with the bullhorn. I wanted the people who knocked those walls down to hear from all of us. What happened? It pains me to have to reach this realization about our brass, about our leadership, that they have gone astray. And we are now reached a point, as, as we see this entire thing disintegrate, as we see echoes of the fall of Saigon, as we see all of the people who are trying to evacuate desperately, our own embassy is now desperately trying to evacuate from the capital of Afghanistan. It looks just like the mid-70s in, in Saigon. And we are now faced with the realization that all of the work and all of the effort and all of the blood appears to have been for nothing. Or was it? Or was it? I am willing to have my mind changed. But I want to reiterate, if you served, if your family members served, you did your job. You did your duty. You have been let down. God bless you. God bless you. Why did my friend get blown up for what? That's the headline at the compost. And I'd love to have an answer. You got one for me? 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. anything I've said here. Don't take anything I said. Please, please don't take anything I said as any sort of uh, uh, suggestion that I'm not rooting for my country. I am rooting for my country. I love this country. I'm a patriot. 
I'm Larry O'Connor, by the way, filling in for Mark Levin today. I, I, I love this country, but because I love this country, I love the men and women who wear the uniform to serve this country and willing to sacrifice their lives for our country. They owe, we owe them, excuse me, these challenges to their leadership. Because I love this country, I get angry when the leadership of the military lets down those incredible patriots. As I believe we're seeing right now. And by the way, one other thing, as those generals and those admirals are the people who had one job. When you commit our forces to serve and ask them to give their lives for us, at the very least, you need to be able to know how you're going to get them out. Have a plan. And, and, and instead of having that plan, oh, what, is, what have we heard from the military over the last six months? We've known this day is coming. We've known they've been planning to get out of Afghanistan. They've known what was going to happen with the Taliban. The only question was how fast it was going to happen. They've known this was going to happen. So what have they been focusing on? What have we heard from the top military brass in this country over the last six months at the Pentagon when they testify before Congress, when they go on social media to grandstand? What have we heard? We've heard about transgender policy. We've heard about critical race theory. We've heard about the woke military instead of maybe getting to work on making sure we exit this country safely. Am I being unfair? Ted in Palm Springs, California. We'll start with you, Ted. Ted, thank you for your service, and thank you for calling the Mark Levin Show. Hi, how are you? I'm all right. I'm a little worked up about this, though. I'll be honest with you. Well, I want to give you just a little different perspective. In uh, the 1980s, I was one of the CIA officers who were buying weapons for the Mujahideen uh, to fight the Soviets in Afghanistan, a large covert operation. Yeah. Uh, you may recall it in the movie Charlie Charlie Wilson's War. War absolutely. So, so we won. We the, we helped the Afghan Mujahideen beat the best the Soviets had, and then the Soviets went through, and then we left the country. So so we we didn't care about Afghanistan at that point again because we we had actually a goal and achieved our goal. Yeah. So 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 I think you're right when you say what was the goal the first time under Bush? It was this sort of neocon belief that we could create a democracy there that was that was never going to happen in afghanistan right yeah i mean listen ted that was that was the morphed goal the first goal was let's go get osama bin laden and al-qaeda and topple the taliban then it turned into building some sort of democracy and the purple fingers voting and it turned into some very good-hearted things but you're right not something that our military ted was ever really designed to do they didn't get the support, certainly the rules of engagement from the next president, and now they've been let down by our military brass. Ted, thank you for the call. Keep it here. More on this. Where's our commander-in-chief? Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark Levin, the voice the liberals want to silence. 
But you can talk to Mark at 877-381-3811. Yeah, you sure can. And boy, howdy, do I love the Mark Levin Show callers from all across this nation. The lines are jammed right now. So many of you incredible veterans or parents or children of veterans uh, jumping in here about Afghanistan. And we'll get to your calls in a moment. I'm Larry O'Connor filling in for the great one. Honestly, it's such an honor and, and so fun. Uh, what a great team Mark has assembled here. There's a reason why he is the best. Um, honestly, the only downside of having to fill in for Mark Levin is that I don't get to listen to Mark Levin. Otherwise, I'd be doing exactly what you're doing right now. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And by the way, speaking of Mark, I, I know you know that American Marxism is a seminal work. I mean, it, honestly, it, it's almost like Mark Levin's entire life journey, his educational journey, his his professional journey, and his political journey has all led him to the moment where he hit that final publish button for American Marxism. It is an incredible book. I know you know that. And based on the numbers, uh, you bought it already. Can I just recommend something to you? If you haven't bought it, what's wrong with you? Get your copy of American Marxism. But I got to tell you, I, I'm a father of four children. Two of my kids are in college right now, and I've got two kids in high school. It occurred to me today, for the two that have already gone to college, one's at UCLA, one's at the United States Naval Academy, two very different educational experiences, I assure you. Um, for my next two kids, you know, I, I, I talk to parents all the time who have kids my age as well. Um, and, and when your kid is being sent off to college, as so many of you right now, where are we? August 13th. I mean, you've got, you are either just now moving your kids into college or they're about to move into college. It's happening right now. And so many of you are worried. So many of you are scared. I get it. I was too. You should be worried. You have instilled your values and your principles. You've educated your children. You've raised your children. In some cases, you've homeschooled your children. And now you're sending them off to a university. And as hard as you have tried to instill your values, instill your principles, instill your patriotism and your love for this nation with your children, we see what goes on in American colleges. We see what goes on in American universities. So many parents talk to me on the radio every day at WMAL in Washington, D.C., and they say, what do I do? How can I equip my children so that they are protected from the brainwashing, from the onslaught, from the pressure they're about to endure. And there are several answers to that, and, and, I, and we're going to talk about it a little bit a little later in the program as well. But there's one thing, one thing right now it occurs to me that you can do. You can give your child American Marxism, Mark Levin's latest book. You Give them that book as part of their going away package to get to college. But it's not enough. And I know, oh, my kid's not going to read that. I'm at, no, no, no. Here's what you do. You talk to your kid. Many of you have, have a good relationship with your children. Many of you may be contributing to their tuition. You may be paying for their tuition in one way or another. Or they're just coming to you for, you know, spending money or whatever. You're still in some way supporting your kid who just went to college. Here's what you do. You say, listen, I'm here for you. I'm your parent. I love you. I'm going to pay your tuition. I'm going to help you with your tuition. I'll co-pay, whatever it is. Here's my deal with you. I want to make a compact with you. I will continue supporting you. I'm going to give you spending money. I'm going to help you out when you need it. I'm going to pay your tuition. We're going to read this book together. Once a week, you and I, we're going to talk about a chapter. I know you got a lot of reading to do. I know you're in college. Do this one thing for me. If you can give me one gift for the 18 years of your life that I've been here for you before I send you to college, could you do this one thing for me? You and I, we're, this is going to be our last bonding experience. Now that you're an adult, 
We're going to read this book together. And we're going to have a one-hour conversation about each chapter. Imagine, imagine how great that would be. And your kid doesn't even have to agree with everything. But at least challenge them and say, at least look at this perspective. At least read this book. What's the harm? What are you afraid of? Let's go. You buy an extra copy of American Marxism, right? I know you already have it. Buy it for your child. Or buy it for your godchild. Buy it for your grandchild. Buy it for a young American who is just starting out and they're going to have to face this onslaught of Marxism. Do that. It's a good idea. Amazing book. We are talking about the uh, the fall of Afghanistan that is happening faster than any of the, all the experts told us. All the people who know. Aren't you glad the Ivy League is back in charge of our foreign policy? All the experts said this wasn't going to happen. And where's our commander-in-chief? At a press conference recently, he was asked specifically, are you concerned that we could see a scene in Kabul exactly like we saw in Saigon? Here was his answer. If I'm not mistaken, the Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comfortable. Yeah, not at all comfortable. Uh, you see what's going on right now. By the way, what did Joe Biden have to say in response today to an onslaught of reporters' questions as we see Afghanistan crumbling before our eyes? Uh, he wasn't available. No press briefing today. He's in Camp David. We're now told he's going to stay in Camp David until Wednesday. No expectation or plans for any press availabilities. I, I, I don't need to ask it because you're already saying it. But if Trump were president right now and this was going on, do you think the media would be treating the story the same way? Joe, Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. Valley, now, I think it is appropriate, Joe, that we hear from someone in Valley Forge where our, our men in uniform first showed us the exact kind of sacrifice it took to make a nation and now to keep a nation. Joe, thanks for being here. You're on the Mark Levin Show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, there's a lot of history around uh, where I get to grow up and, mm. and uh, be a part of. But uh, I did want to talk to you about uh, Afghanistan. I'm a veteran. Well, I went to Afghanistan a few times and worked alongside the, uh, our Afghan partners uh, fighting the Taliban. And I will say that um, the Afghan army has, has fought in as valiantly as they're capable to do with the resources they have. But with that being said, the Afghan people, in my opinion, need to come together as a nation and throw the chains of the Taliban off of their country as one united people. And being as that uh, part of the world is mostly tribal and um, very much clan-oriented as far as their politics go. Um, it's hard to see in the foreseeable future that they'll ever be able to do that. Um, I hey, mean, Joe, it, on the, I'll let you finish, but I, just a follow-up here, because I just love interviewing people, whether they're a, a guest or, or a politician or, or Joe in Valley Forge. Can you, because I've heard this discussed quite a bit today, in Afghanistan, I know that it's tribal, is there even a, a national identity amongst the Afghanis? I mean, are they tribal first and Afghanis second? Or do they even see and recognize what we see as the international borders of Afghanistan? Is, is that even a concept that is relevant to the people in that nation? 
So to answer your question, I think that outside of Kabul and maybe some of the uh, maybe Kandahar or Khandi uh, City, um, it's mostly reserved for high-ranking military leaders, politicians, and the like. Um, but once you go out into what we would call in America, um, a lot of them don't see as Afghanistan as a united country. They don't see it as um, a nation of one people. They're they're mostly you know stuck to their their clan and their tribe, and that's where their loyalties lie. Should there have been some emphasis from the leadership there? For the 20 years that we've been there, changing hearts and minds, sort of remaking and reestablishing, or for, in some cases for the first time establishing some level of infrastructure and, 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 and some sort of semblance of a constitutional democracy, has there been any energy put toward that end? To say, you know, no, 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 the way you are united, bring a little Abraham Lincoln in here, House Divided cannot stand. You guys must think of yourselves no longer as tribesmen, you must think of yourselves as a nation, otherwise this whole thing falls apart. Was that part of the, 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 the process there with our presence? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think it was more, um, and I, don't, don't get me wrong, I think that um, I think those people that did follow, fight alongside us had good intentions, but I don't think that uh, that would I don't think that that would be something that we could do. It's that's a cultural idea that you'd have to change, and that's a deep cultural mm-hmm. idea that you'd have to change. But what we did do over there is we rooted out evil everywhere we saw it. We stamped out you know thousands and thousands of high value targets that uh, deserve to be in the grave, and we we took the we took a lot of evil away from Afghanistan and helped a lot of Afghani people. And I think. Um, it's time for them to stand up for, for their own country and, and fight and fight the Taliban as best they can. Um, not that we should, not that there shouldn't have been an exit strategy, not that we should have had a better one, because um, we're, we're at where we're at now. But um, I think wherever evil persists, we should, the Amer- America should step in and, and stamp it out. Joe, thank you for your service. Truly honored that you spent a little bit of time on your Friday night here with us on the Mark Levin Show. Thank you, Joe. A little bit more of Joe Biden here, the commander-in-chief. In February, just a month into his presidency, so-called, he was asked specifically about the strategy in pulling out of Afghanistan. And here's the best part. When he was asked specifically about uh, if things go uh, uh, upside down, pear-shaped, as the Brits like to say, if, if what happens, is, if what we're seeing happen right now were to happen, this is in February, mind you. This is six months ago, seven months ago. And the reporter says, all right, you're, you're going to pull out. You're going to if it doesn't go right, do you bear responsibility for this? Listen, don't you bear some responsibility for the outcome if the Taliban ends up back in control and women end up losing the. No, rights? I don't. Look, are you telling me that we should go into China because go to war with China because what they're doing to the Uyghurs, a million Uyghurs in the out in the Western concentration camps? By the way, that is a non-sequitur, babbling, incoherent rejoinder. One has nothing to do with the other. The reporter is not asking whether we should go into Afghanistan. We're already in Afghanistan, Mr. President. So, so to, to, you think you're making some debate point? This guy was a senator? He thinks he's making some point in the debate by saying, well, well by that logic, we should go into China. No, no, that's not at all. An appropriate rejoinder to the debate. And, and the reporter, God bless her, I don't know her name, but she stands her ground. Is that what you're saying to me? It was your quote, sir. I was asking you. No, what you I know. I gave you my, I gave the answer. You, do I bear responsibility? Zero responsibility. Think about this for a minute. Now, now just 
think about this for a minute. I compared this to Vietnam, compared it to Saigon. When the fall of Saigon happened, Joe Biden was already a United States senator. He saw it happen. For his very eyes, he saw it happen. He was on the wrong side of it that day as well, by the way. Like former Defense Secretary for Barack Obama, Bob Gates, has said, Joe Biden has been on the wrong side of every national security issue for his entire career. So he saw Saigon fall. He saw the Soviet tanks roll into Afghanistan. He was a senator for that. He saw Jimmy Carter's boycott of the Russian Olympics in 1980 because of the Afghanistan invasion. He was a senator for that. He saw what uh, our caller previously was talking about with the U.S. funding of the Mujahideen to try to push back against the Soviets, a successful mission. He was a senator for that. He saw it all. He got to debate it. He was sitting on the Armed Services Committee most of those times. He was able to vote on all of those things. He saw it all. He was a senator through it all. He was a senator voting on whether after 9-11, whether we should commit troops to Afghanistan. He voted on that as a United States senator, committing our troops initially to this effort. And throughout the entire thing, throughout the entire thing, he was in charge of, of oversight in his role as a senator over the rules of engagement, over troop deployments, over, over the budgets, overseeing all of it. Fashioned himself a national security expert, did our Joe. You betcha he did. Then he became vice president. He took many trips to Afghanistan. Grandstanded and put on his Ray-Bans, his aviators. Stood there and posed in front of the troops. Talked like a tough guy. As the second in command... As the Vice President of the United States, he oversaw our policy, along with Barack Obama, the President, and had a front row seat to all of it. Then he runs for President, becomes Commander-in-Chief, and now he claims he bears zero responsibility for any of it. Don't you bear some responsibility for the outcome if the Taliban ends up back in control and women end up losing the no, rights? No, I don't. Look, do I bear responsibility? Zero responsibility. Zero. The man's been everywhere. As a senator, as a vice president, and now as a so-called president, he's had his finger on the pulse of this entire policy from even back when the Soviets were in Afghanistan. And now he's like acting like Sergeant Schultz from Hogan. I don't know. I see nothing. I know nothing. I had nothing. To, what do you know? Why are you even asking me this question? Me? Throughout this entire thing, I guarantee you, between the media and the Democrats and pop culture and your late night talk shows and Saturday Night Live and academia and all of the powerful voices in this country, when all is said and done, as we see Afghanistan crumble and return to the iron fist of the Taliban, when all the postmortems are written, in fact, the postmortems are probably already written, this is going to come down to two people who are responsible, two people who are at fault George Bush and Donald Trump. Mark my words. Thankfully, you won't buy it. Because you listen to the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. My friends, our world is connected more than ever. Now, what does that mean? It means that we're affected by things happening on the other side of the world, like wars, like pestilence, and of course, in our own country, the turmoil. 
Now, this could all mean danger to our economy, but smart investors are using this as an opportunity to buy gold. Gold is at an all-time high, and I believe it's going to go higher. That's why I want you to call my friends at Advantage Gold. They're a five-star company that I personally trust with my gold purchases. Call them today at 800-900-8000 for a 100% free gold investment guide to show you how you could use gold and silver to help turn global chaos into financial opportunity. That's 800-900-8000. Plus, tell them I sent you, and they'll give you a special Mark Levin discount worth up to $1,300 if you qualify. Call Advantage Gold today, 800-900-8000. Tell them Mark Levin sent you. Performance may vary. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. You should always consult your financial and tax professionals. Larry O'Connor here filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. You can find me on WMAL in Washington, D.C. You can stream the things, podcast these things, whatever it is. It's the Washington, D.C. Mighty Talk Radio Station, Mark Levin's home uh, there, WMAL. And I do the morning show. I wake everybody up, including Mark. Mark and Julie wake up to me every morning. Imagine that. Uh, by the way, this Sunday evening, I shouldn't say by the way, this, this isn't an afterthought. This is like must-see TV. Remember must-see TV? This Sunday, 8 p.m., Fox News Channel, Life, Liberty, and Levin. That's some alliteration we can all get behind. Stephen Moore and Stephen Miller will be his guests. By the way, that's a little, little double alliteration there. Stephen Moore, Stephen Miller, Stephen and Stephen Moore and Miller on Life, Liberty, and Levin. That's this Sunday night, August 15th, 8 PM. Yeah, you don't blame Biden. Biden's just an innocent bystander. Biden had nothing to do with it. Maybe that's the problem, Joe Biden. You've been there for 50 years as a senator or vice president and now a so-called president, and you have nothing to show for it because you have no actual moral compass. You stand for nothing except your own egotistical, narcissistical, political ambition, and it shows. And now people are dying because of it. And now people are dying because of it. It, it brings us no joy. I, I want to I end this hour where I began it, by thanking the men and women who wore the uniform, who volunteered to wear the uniform. This is not on them. They did more than was asked of them. But they've been let down. How the military brass, the... The people who get, you know, they, they get saluted by everyone. They, they're the flag officers who get treated like royalty. And, 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 and that's the tradition of our military. Get it. But you know what? There's a responsibility that comes along with that. And that's not letting down the men and women you lead. They had one job here in committing our troops, and that was to have a way out. And now we're seeing it transpire. It's a disaster. It's not your fault. Thank you for your service. You know, folks, we've got an awful lot swirling around this country, both internally and externally. We've got wars going on in all parts of the world. We've got riots effectively going on in our colleges and universities. We have inflation through the roof. It's an election year to boot. All these problems are often huge tailwinds for gold, which is why gold is at all-time highs, looking like it's going to go higher. And when it comes to gold, I only trust my friends at Advantage Gold. They help Americans just like you protect your retirement accounts and help safeguard 
your wealth through diversification. So call them right now. 800-900-8000. Get their free 2024 gold and silver kit plus a special Mark Levin discount worth up to $1,300 if you qualify. Call Advantage Gold right now. 800-900-8000. See if you qualify to get your special Mark Levin discount worth up to $1,300 today. Performance may vary. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. You should always consult your financial and tax professional. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I am Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin today at 877-381-3811. So honored to be here. Uh, Mark Levin back, of course, on Monday. Life, Liberty, and Levin. Fox News this Sunday at 8 p.m. He's got uh, two really smart and really good guests, as usual, Stephen Moore and Stephen Miller, 8 p.m. this Sunday on Fox News Channel. Uh, Follow Mark, by the way, Mark Levin's show over Parler and Rumble. Mark Levin Show, Parlor and Rumble. And if you're interested in me, and I appreciate a lot of you reaching out on social media already tonight, and I do appreciate it. I'm Larry O'Connor. I'm still on Twitter. I'm still I'm still stuck over on Twitter. I can't, I can't, you know. It's, uh, I don't know. Larry O'Connor on Twitter. I am uh, the morning show host on WMAL, the uh, morning talk show on uh, WMAL in Washington, D.C., in the nation's capital. And I, it's funny, I, I love doing morning radio because we get to start people off on the day. And a lot of times, you know, even if it's a bad news cycle, even there is a lot in the news right now. Listen, we just spent an hour talking about the fall of Kabul, about our, all of our efforts and all of our treasure and all of our blood and all of our lives that have been sacrificed for the last 20 years, all seemingly going for naught 20 years later because of failed leadership. It is, it's hard to have that conversation and stay hopeful. It's hard to have that conversation and stay positive. Look at the last year and a half we've had here with the pandemic and the economic shutdown and, and, the, and playing politics with people's lives and people's deaths. And, oh, Andrew Cuomo's a hero. I wish he was president. Look at his great press conference. People died by the thousands at this guy's hands. And if you didn't die because of his policies, you got groped because of his misbehavior. But it doesn't matter because they had an election to win. They had a president to defeat. And so they played politics with people's lives. They played politics with a virus, for God's sake. And now they're playing politics with a vaccine. It's hard to talk about those things and still be the kind of guy that I really am and which I think most Americans are, which is a sunny, optimistic, upbeat, always looking at the glass. Forget about the glass half full. I think the glass is is too big. Let's get a better size glass for the amount of water we've got, right? Because that's American ingenuity. We don't accept whether it's half full or half empty. We're just going to make ourselves a better glass. That's how we usually are in this country. And my God, we've been beaten down, haven't we? We've been beaten down, and, and, and it makes it hard to talk about these things, to engage in these things, to continue to be re-engaged every day. And when you get defeated, to step up, brush yourself off, and live to fight another day because we got to keep fighting because if we don't, what's the point? I can't accept that, that, that it's all going to go away. Not this nation, not this country. 
And so I, I raise that for you and, and, and juxtapose it to what I usually do, because it's every morning. It's like, you know, try to stay upbeat and energetic and positive. We're going to start your day. And I don't care what's going on in your life. And I know what's going on in the headlines, but we got to find some upside to this. And I got to ask you, and I, I've got some secrets. I've got some tips. I've got some things that I can point to right now going on in this world that give me hope. And I've got to think you do too. And, and I think it is a very positive and constructive exercise for us to evaluate what's really going on in our life, to do an audit of what's going on in this country. And yes, it's, it, there's a plenty to be ticked off about. But you've got to work overtime to find those things that give you some hope. And I think if we can spend some time sharing those things right now, it'll go a long way, especially on a Friday like this in August. As we're launching into a weekend, why not end this week with some hope? I've got some things I want to share with you that, that maybe when I share with you, you must say, you know, I hadn't thought of that. That gives me hope. And if you can share some of those things too, you might help some people out. 877-381-3811. Right now, what gives you hope for the future of this country? What gives you hope for your children or your grandchildren or for yourself? What keeps you getting up every day and fighting hard to win the day? What gives you hope? 877 381 3811. I got a couple things for you. I want to start with my old home state of California. All right, I've lived in Washington, D.C. now for nine years. Before that, I lived decades in California. Moved there from Michigan when I was 13 years old, finished high school there. I spent five years in New York working, and then I went right back to California, and I stayed there right up until, raised my children there, um, and, then, and then moved to D.C. for, for the, my radio career. Um, but I still call California my home state. No offense, Michigan. But Michigan's my birth state. But California's my home. And I went to high school there during the, the Ronald Reagan presidency. I was in Orange County, California, Newport Beach, Corona Del Mar High School at a time in the 1984 re-election campaign of Ronald Reagan when he referred to Orange County as the place where good Republicans go to die. B1 Bob Dornan was my congressman. That's, that, that was my influence, all right? That's my California. And I know everybody looks at California a certain way right now, right? But I was there for, for Governor George Duke Mason, Republican. Governor Pete Wilson, Republican. Then things started to change. Things started to go really bad, really fast. And some of us might not recognize the state of California anymore. Now, I know you're listening right now, right now as we speak, driving home in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Sacramento, all across the Golden State. Mark is all over California. And you know what's happening right now in California? The recall of that governor, of Gavin Newsom, Gov Governor Hair Gel. The guy, the guy who makes Jerry Brown look good. How bad do you have to be to make Jerry Brown look like the elder statesman of your party? Governor Gavin Hairgel Newsom is facing a recall. And this recall effort, I'm sure you know, but they had to get, I think, a million and 100,000 signatures to qualify for the ballot. They got a million seven. They got a million seven. During a pandemic when you couldn't even go door to door, when you couldn't even stand outside a Target or a Walmart and get people to sign the petition. They got a million seven. Latest poll I saw from KBC Television in Los Angeles. The pro-recall 
right now is sitting at 52%. That means, yes, get rid of him, 52% in the latest poll. The no, don't get rid of him, Gavin Newsom's the greatest. That's sitting around 40-some-odd percent. I think, it's, I think it's actually 40, 52-40 is what I saw. He is in desperate trouble right now. He's on the verge of being removed from office in California. That doesn't happen with just Republicans. That doesn't happen with just Trump supporters. Heck, that doesn't even happen with just independents and Republicans. Even Democrats have stood up and said, what in hell has happened to the Golden State? What in hell has happened with, with rampant criminal vagrancy that they like to call a homeless crisis? It's not a homeless crisis. It's a crisis of law and order. It's a crisis of following the laws that are on the books right now. The taxpayers of that state stood up and they said, enough. We pay the most income taxes. We pay the most sales taxes. We pay the most property taxes in this state. And what are we getting for it? We can't take our child to the park because it's been taken over by criminal vagrants and drug use and mental illness. And, and the people who lecture us and call us bigots because we dare to say that maybe a public park should not be a tent city, they call us bigots. No, enough. It's time to change leadership. Now, if that can happen in California, and, and let me just pause for a moment. Don't get me wrong. I'm not naive. I'm not stupid. This election happens in mid-September, September 15th, I believe it is. And I know there's a lot that's going to happen. There's going to be dirty tricks. And as my, my old friend, and, and Mark Levin's old friend, Hugh Hewitt, wrote in a book, uh, several, 20 years ago, I think his book was called, uh, if, the, if It's Not Close, They Can't Cheat. You see, you see, these days, the only way a Republican wins, and it's even worse now than it was when Hewitt wrote that book, the only way a Republican wins now is if it's overwhelming. Overwhelming without a doubt. If it's close, we know what happens. And with no voter ID, with, uh, with mail-in voting, voting, with ballot harvesting, and now that Secretary of State, who was appointed by this governor, by the way, hand-picked, not elected, hand-picked Secretary of State, she now wants you to be able to print out a ballot at home. Ah, oh, yeah, there's no fraud there. Nothing going on there. I recognize that they're going to do whatever it takes. And the sad thing is they don't even have to break the law because they've concocted laws that build fraud right into the system. So I'm not naive and not stupid. I know that they have the ability to do that. What I'm saying is that the movement is so strong there, they need to pull out every stop to barely save this guy. In California, the most left-wing Democrat state in this country, where they have controlled the state legislature in Sacramento for decades, where they've had every statewide office filled by a Democrat for decades. And don't tell me Arnold Schwarzenegger, because he's not really a Republican. We know that. How can you see what's happening in California and not say, wow, well, wait a minute now. Okay. I know California is not going for Republicans next time we have a presidential election, but if they can get rid of this disaster of a governor, if they can rise up and say, enough, this direction is impossible to maintain. They have ruined this state with their policies and with their lack of leadership. If they can do that, if they can even bring it to the brink as they are, that's got to give you hope, doesn't it? 
Otherwise, why are you still living in California? I gotta ask for those of you who are still there. That gives me hope. You know what else gives me hope? I live in Annapolis, Maryland, 30 miles from downtown Washington, D.C. It's, it's really a suburb of D.C. distance-wise, but culture-wise, it's quite different. It's the home of the United States Naval Academy. I mentioned earlier I have a daughter. I'm fortunate enough to have a daughter, and she is fortunate enough to be a midshipman there. Setting her aside, because I don't want to talk about my kids on the air, but uh, Meredith, my wife, and I, we've lived here for over a year now, and uh, we've had the good fortune to be able to sponsor Children, people who live in Annapolis or a 30-mile radius of Annapolis, uh, you can volunteer to be a sponsor parent. Sponsor parent means that basically when the midshipmen have their rare days off, generally it's one day a week on a Saturday where they're able to leave the campus, the yard of the United States Naval Academy and get some liberty and get some time off because it is a military academy. It is a military life with very stringent academics, they get that 12-hour window sometimes only on a Saturday, and they come and they, they hang out. We have a bedroom for them. They can, they can stay here. They can hang out with us if they want, or they can just close the door and sleep or play Xbox or Switch, whatever they want to do. Over the last two years, we've gotten to know a good handful of these young men and women. A little over a 1,000 get accepted every year. Eh, just about a 1,000, sometimes fewer, actually get their commission when they graduate after four years at the Naval Academy. I, to be able to spend the time that I've been able to spend with these young 19, 20, 21-year-olds who've chosen for their higher education a military academy and the commitment of at least five years as a military officer in some cases even more being able to see these men and women of every race of every ethnicity of every faith being able to talk to them about why they made the choice that they made boy does that give me hope it's why i was so passionate about what happened in afghanistan in our last conversation because these men and women deserve leadership. But you sit and you talk to them. These are not the dirtbags who are protesting in our streets and laying down and stopping traffic and protesting against the state of Israel and, and equivocating for people who are burning down our cities on behalf of critical race theory run amok. No, that's not who these men and women are. They don't get the headlines. They don't get the attention. They don't get the profiles on television. They're not allowed to even speak to the media, but they're there. They're working their butts off for us. You've got to get out. You've got to put yourself in a position where you're surrounded by young people who get it, who give you that hope. I get hope from that. That's just two things giving me hope right now. What about you? What gets you through the day? What gets you out of bed to seize the day in these trying times? What gives you hope? I want to hear it. 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Connor in for Mark Levin. And by the way, what'll give you hope? What'll give you hope? Reading American Marxism, Mark's new book, if you haven't read it yet. That last chapter gives you hope. This is why I love this book. It's not just about what's right. You know, there's so many people who write books and go on the radio and they whine and they complain and they it's like that problem after problem. All they do is point out what's wrong. And then they leave you hanging. It's like, well, well what do we do about it? They're like, you got me all fired up, you got me all worked up. Yes, it's a terrible, everything's wrong. So now what? American Marxism, that final chapter 
It is a book all unto itself. It's Mark Levin's answer to now what? You got to read it. You got to share it. You got to buy it as a gift. Buy them now for your holidays. Get that book. Uh, what gives you hope right now? I shared a couple of things. We, we, we should. We got to. You got to do this exercise. Otherwise, the despair that you feel, especially in times like this, are just stifling. Let's go to uh, let's go to Jack in Spokane, Washington. Jack, you're first up here on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry. Larry, thanks. You're doing a great job. I appreciate Mark. And I was just driving home uh, from work, and I, I caught your, your your topic, and I had to, I, fortunately I got through, and I three things popped into my head. First, the saving grace of my Lord Jesus Christ. That Amen, gives me all friend. the hope in the world, here and, and in eternity. Amen. Secondly, our Constitution and Declaration of Independence. And when you think about what our forefathers handed us, I think next to the Bible, probably the greatest document ever penned by man is the Constitution and our Declaration of Independence. The people read it, study it, understand what our forefathers handed us, what they meant when they handed it to us, the price they paid to birth this nation, to gird this nation. To me, that gives me a lot of hope, because I look at the thwarting of our Constitution on a daily basis, and I realize one thing, Larry, when they thwart the Constitution, they're the lawbreakers. They're the thugs, and it's up to us to take a stand. Hopefully not physically, but it may come to that. And the third thing that jumped right to the top of my head, I come from a family of veterans. Uh, Coming up on four years Memorial Day, uh, we lost one of them. Mm. My nephew was a Navy SEAL. We had two Navy SEALs in the family. My brother Rich was a 20-year SEAL, 13 and 6. Remington was a young SEAL in six years, going on seven years, I believe. He was jumping with the leapfrogs a Memorial Day doing an exhibition jump over the Hudson River. Oh, no. Parachute failure. It made national news. It was a devasta- devastating oh, Jack, I up. saw that story. Jack, i got to leave it there. I'm glad you got it in. God bless you and your family's sacrifice, and thank you. You're right. They give us hope every day. Radio's hell-raising intellectual. Call now, 877-381-3811. Yes, I'm angry. Of course I'm angry. I'm just as angry as you are, trust me. And, and, and yes, and I, oh, I haven't even, I have not hammered the media at all today. You know, I brought, I was, I'm Larry O'Connor. I was uh, brought into this whole world of, of punditry and, and columnists. I write columns at townhall.com, uh, three a week, check them out, along with my very good friend, best friend, literally. I mean, everybody says in this business, oh, it's my very good friend. No, he literally is one of my best friends, Kurt Schlichter, and my other best friend, Chris DeGaulle. Uh, we write columns over there at Town Hall. I know you know Kurt Schlichter and Chris DeGaulle. Um, it's a great team over there at Town Hall. I, I got into this world of writing columns, writing for the internet, doing podcasts. I've been on radio now for 10 years, nine at WMAL, and the year before that, Phil in for a lot of national hosts. Um, I got into this because of Andrew Breitbart. Andrew Breitbart found me, discovered me. I was in a completely different industry. I was in the theater business. I was a manager of a big theater in Los Angeles. That's what my old career was in the Broadway theater. And Andrew Breitbart found me because I was I was not a liberal in the theater business. We're very few and far between. <laughs> and Andrew Breitbart's first uh, website was Big Hollywood. It was about the entertainment business. And, and he brought me into this world. Um, and 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 because I was raised at the husky knee of Andrew Breitbart, I focus a lot on the media, and I've got a lot to say about how the media is covering COVID nineteen, the lies they're telling you, 
uh, for political partisan purposes. I'm going to get to that. I am. I am just as angry as you are. But we can't live our life that, that, like that every day. It poisons the people around us. It hurts our children. We've got to demonstrate to our children as angry and as upset and as motivated and activated as we are about what's wrong in our nation, in our state, in our county, and in our schools. We need to show them that there is a way. There's a way to fix it that we, we must keep fighting. And that doesn't, who told you you were going to win every election? Who told you you were going to win every fight? Whoever told you that was a freaking liar. But you just walk away when you lose, even when it's a heartbreaking lose. You walk away and say, no, to hell with it, forget it, it's over, it's all done. No, it's not. I'm sorry. I mentioned Ronald Reagan as one of the inspirational figures in my life. Ronald Reagan didn't do that. He fought at it for decades until he finally had his opportunity. And he attracted people to him because he had that fun, sunny, upbeat, positive, optimistic disposition. Because at the end of the day, this is all for America. And if you can't be positive and optimistic at the end of the day about the gift that our Lord and our founders gave us in this United States of America, I don't have anything to say to you. But I know you can find some hope somewhere. And especially if you can take that hope and you can transfer it into action. Not only am I upbeat about this, not only does this motivate me and give me hope, but I'm not going to take that positive energy and I'm going to do something to fix it. And to that end, let's go to Mike in Manassas, who for all I know might actually listen on WMAL every morning. Mike, you're next up on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry. Hey, Larry. Listen to you on uh, WMAL every morning. It's pretty cool to hear you at night, but miss the great one. Me and too. Mark, Mark Phillips calling from Manassas City, Virginia. Oh, Mark. All right, My Mark. wife is, is running for the city of Manassas treasurer's position, and she is willing to give up her career to make whatever small change we can in the small city that we live in. Because as you know, Northern Virginia is just getting bluer by the day. Yeah. So what gives me hope is my wife and my two boys, ages four and two, that, you know, we're, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring and the schools and the CRT and everything is being shoved down our throats to feel like they're just using our kids against us. But for my wife wanting to make, such a drastic change it really gives me hope that um that is tomorrow phenomenal. Can always be better than today mark that's incredible and by the way this is what our founders want you know i i'm i say it all the time what happens in your house is more important than what happens in the white house we have to stop buying in to the mainstream media the corporate propagandist in the media who continue we get stuck in this trap and continue telling us that the nation lizard dies by who sits in the white house every four years well we've been focusing so much on who wins every presidential election every four years we've ignored our school boards we've ignored our city treasurer our county treasurer our 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 state's attorneys, our district attorneys, and, 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 and our opponents have been filling all of those positions with, uh, forget about blue, Mark, they're, they're left, they're the reddest of the red because they're Marxists. And look at what they've done to our schools. Look at what they've done to our criminal justice system. And they didn't do it through the presidency. They didn't do it through the Oval Office or even from the court system. They did it by wanting, winning these local elections. So, Mark, thank you. You're absolutely right. And God bless your wife for making this sacrifice. I know it is a sacrifice, but that's how we fix it. We're not going to win this country back through a presidential election every four years. I think that's one lesson we can learn from 
the Trump presidency. And I don't mean that as a cut to Donald Trump. I'm saying it's not set up that way. It's not how it works. They handed us, our founders did, a ground up constitutional republic, and we have forgotten to win on the ground. Mark, thank you. And thank your wife for me. And, and, and reach out to me. I want to follow her campaign. You know, let, let's talk about these school boards for a minute. You want to talk about what gives us hope. Do you not see the hope in these parents who have finally had it up to here when they're fed up with their government-run schools that they're paying for? Their school board members who ran, they raised money, ran to sit on a school board so that they could have the honor and privilege of representing the parents and taxpayers of a community and make decisions about the curriculum and policies in the local government-run schools, and they have abandoned their responsibility. They have abandoned the voters, they have abandoned the taxpayers, and they've handed the entire thing over to the teachers' unions, the corrupt teachers unions and and what are we seeing right now from Loudoun County Virginia to Fairfax County Virginia to the Nashville Tennessee to the suburbs of Atlanta to the suburbs of Dallas even out in California once again we are seeing parents rise up and go to those school board meetings and say get it together figure it out and do your job or we will replace you most of the national news uh, out of Loudoun County, Virginia, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C., that you've seen, I, I, I'm not bragging, but it all started on our radio station in Washington, D.C., because it's a local story. We started to look at what's going on in this school district. Look at what these parents are doing. And we brought these parents on to the radio station to let their voice be heard. And it has taken off and created a national movement from the school board level. This is how we win. And let me just say something about these, these so-called transgender rights policies that are being shoved down the throats of your children. They're going to tell you that they're only interested in protecting rights. They'll tell you that the laws and regulations and policies, they have to be passed in your child's government-run school to prevent hostile bullying of vulnerable children, right? They say that all the time. This is about protecting kids from bullying. They have bullying policies right now already. Enforce the laws you've got and voice the policies that you've got. If kids are getting bullied right now because of their gender, that's on you. It's your fault for not enforcing your current policies already. Oh, my God, this is terrible. We have bullying policies and kids are being bullied. I know. Let's come up with new policies. What are you, nuts? And they'll tell you that these so-called transgender rights laws... If we don't have them, if we don't have these policies, then children will be driven to, to run away or to self-harm or even suicide. It is the most, most manipulative, duplicitous, deceitful kind of politics. Pass these policies or kids will commit suicide. In fact, if you oppose them, you're responsible. Their blood is on your hands. And you're to sit down and shut up. And as usual, they are lying to you. Because that's what they do. They're the left. They can never get their policies through by being honest. They either have to lie or they have to roll tanks down the street and take control. That's what Marxists do. 
This week in that Loudoun County, Washington, D.C. suburb, they voted to approve transgender rules, and they used all those manipulative tactics, every single one that I laid out. That's how the debates go. It's just about dignity and respect. It's to ensure children feel safe and accepted and affirmed. It's just about pronouns and bathrooms, they'll tell you. And if you speak up against us, you're a bigot and you're empowering the bullies. And then they steamroll it through. They jam the policies through. And they'll tell you it's only to promote inclusiveness. I want to read you a little part of the policy that just got put through in this Washington, D.C. suburb. And I do this not to focus on a story in Washington, D.C. suburbs. I do this because it is happening in your school district right now. I don't care where you live right now. This is being pushed on your schools that you pay for. How are they to enforce these transgender policies here in the D.C. suburb of Loudoun County? Here, I'm going to read part of it. Examples of practices that may be based on gender and which should be eliminated include, so let me just be clear here, I want to pause, because, you know, it's written like a freaking lawyer who never speaks English, right? I, I'm about to delineate the, the current practices in public schools that have to be eliminated because of this process. Now, remember, bear in mind, it's just about keeping kids from being bullied. It's to prevent teen suicide. It's just really about pronouns, right? That's what they tell you. Now, here's what needs to be eliminated from the public schools, the government-run schools, because of these policies. Number one, grouping students for class activities. Grouping students. So if you group kids, you know, okay, boys on this side of the room, girls on this side of the room. Or in the gym class or PE class. Okay, we're going to play dodgeball. Boys play dodgeball, girls play or anything like that. If you separate or, or group students based on the gender or sex parts they were born with, you can't do that anymore. That has to be eliminated. Okay, next, gender-based homecoming or prom courts. You can't have a men's court or a women's court or a boys' court or a girls' court. You can't have that anymore. It must be eliminated. But I thought this was about bullying. I thought it was about gender. Nope. You must eliminate gender-based homecoming or prom courts. You must eliminate limitations on who can attend as couples at school dances. So, in other words, you know, if two boys want to go, if two girls want to go, you have to let them or what have you. But here's what's interesting. Limitations on who can attend as couples at school dances. The word couples is in quotation marks, as if couples. I mean, who are we to say what a couple is? In other words, why not let a thruple go? to the school dance. Why not a, a, a quintuple? Oh, are you five dating each other? Well, okay, go ahead and dance together. You make sure you have the slow dance together. You may be approving of that. You may disapprove. It's fine. Honestly, I, I, I'm not making a judgment on whether that's a good policy or a bad policy. What I'm saying is they're lying to you when they say this is a transgender rights policy. That's really just about pronouns and protecting people from being bullied. They want you to eliminate any limitations on who can attend a school dance as a couple. Oh, Larry, why is, why is that important? You know, that's not as important as what the Supreme Court is doing. Really? Really, it's not? I think you know better. Here's my last one. It's my favorite one. And by favorite one, it's the most despicable and nauseating one. What else has to be eliminated from your government-run schools? Ready? Gender-based events such as father-daughter dances. No more father-daughter dances. They push this through 
They shout you down. They call you a bigot. They accuse you of being pro-teen suicide, pro-bullying, of being homophobic. They tell you that the only thing they're trying to do is protect the rights of students due to their, their gender identity. And the end result is there will be no more father-daughter dances at your schools. Because the thought process here is if one student feels excluded because they, he, she can't participate in the father-daughter dance, then the only possible solution that is acceptable is to completely eliminate the event. And therefore, no one gets a father-daughter dance. Everyone must forego and sacrifice and give up. It must be ended, the father-daughter dance, because God forbid one person feel excluded because of it. Now again, you may think that's a fine policy. Fine, lay it out, discuss it, vote on it. But don't lie to me. Don't lie to everyone. And say, if I actually think there's some positive aspect of having a father-daughter dance, that maybe it's a thing that is good for both our fathers and our daughters, that I am a bigot. You see how quickly we go from, oh, this is just to prevent bullying and teen suicide, and we just want to provide a safe, affirming environment. How quickly we go from that to we are now doing away with father-daughter dances. But this is why people are motivated. This is why people are energized. This is why people are advocates now at their school boards. And they are taking back their schools because they are, in fact, their schools. Even if their kids don't attend. The kids that come out of those schools, they're your neighbors. They're going to be working at your stores. You want to make sure that the schools you're paying for are producing the right kind of citizens that actually make this country great. That's why we have government-run schools in the first place. And we are taking them back. And that should give you hope. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. more positive, hopeful thing. We are, I assure you, we, I'm so angry at the media coverage of the pandemic and the lies they've been telling you about Florida and Texas. We've caught them in more lies, and I'm going to share that with you, and we're going to get into it coming up next. But, but one more moment of hope here. One more upbeat thing to tell you, that our country is not totally lost. You know this guy, right? I also have a source that says Chris was on the phone with his brother this week. Is your source Chris him. Cuomo? He is not. He is not. You gotta have boundaries. You gotta draw a line. Why he doesn't? Uh, I think he does actually. Really? All right. I think Chris does. Yeah, Bri uh, Brian Stelter there. Brian Stelter, Helter Stelter, I think uh, the great one calls him. Brian Stelter there, the uh, prepubescent voice of CNN's media analysis that was on Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert, by the way, an accidental moment of clarity there, challenging the question of Chris Cuomo not having any boundaries there, and uh, and and he continued. Stelter did trying to run interference with Chris Cuomo, the marginalized. Fredo of the Cuomo family there, uh, now at CNN, uh, and, and, and listen to this part of it. It is an odd conflict, but I don't think uh, if we open up the journalism ethics book, there's no page for this. It's the, the craziest set of circumstances you can imagine. Uh, as my friend Chris Plant, a talk show host out of D.C., says, uh, no page for this in the journalism ethics books? I believe it's page one. 
I believe I believe it is. If there is a book of journalistic ethics, I'm pretty sure every single page has some mention of if you have a direct personal conflict of interest with the story, you need to step away. But that's Brian Stelter, the voice, prepubescent as it sounds, of journalistic ethics over there at CNN. Well, what's the upside? What's the good news? What's the positive part of this? There's this. You know that the ratings are dying over at CNN. You know that it's poison anytime Brian Stelter shows up on CNN as no one is watching his show. Well, apparently it's not exclusive to CNN. The Stephen Colbert show actually suffered a half a million viewer drop when Brian Stelter came on the program. He's even horrible for ratings when it's not even on his own network. I know Levin would love to have him on to interview him. I think it's the only time he would actually get good ratings to come up. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one on this Friday evening in the greatest country on the planet. Uh, Thanks for listening in. Thank you to Mark Levin for letting me sit in for him. I am on his uh, his local station, WMAL in Washington, D.C., as Mark lives in the greater Washington area, and I do the morning show on that. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Larry O'Connor. You can follow, of course, Mark at Mark Levin Show over there at Parlor and Rumble. Don't forget to get his book for yourself, for your family, for your children. American Marxism is one of the seminal works, and that's saying a lot coming from Mark because his entire uh, library of books are incredible and must-reads. But this is the best, absolutely, American Marxism. By the way, this Sunday night, Fox News Channel, it's Life, Liberty, and Levin. Stephen Moore and Stephen Miller will be his guests. Make sure you see that or recorded or digitally recorded or stream it or however you consume your video content. Do so, will you? 8 p.m. Fox News, Life, Liberty, and Levin with Stephen Moore and Stephen Miller. That's what's going to happen on Fox News this Sunday night. Now let's focus on what's probably going to be happening on CNN this Sunday night or tonight or tomorrow night or every hour of the day because, well, they're just not a news network anymore. I'm going to share it with you because I know you're not going to watch it. But here's what it looked like this morning on CNN, a breaking news report. Boy, everything is breaking news. Have you noticed that? Everything is breaking. Even even a story that is a day old. It's breaking news. It's a news alert. Gets you very excited. Well, here was the breaking news this morning. All right, more breaking news. We have a sad development we just learned of out of Florida. WFOR is reporting that four teachers from Broward County have died of COVID in a single day. The teachers' union chief told the affiliate that three of the four at least... Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Did you hear that? Who's the source for this story? Who's the source for... Who is the person giving the details to the news outlet. They cite WFOR. But the, I'm sorry, you're, you're saying WFOR. No, it's yours now, baby, CNN. Sorry, baby. You own this now. You're broadcasting it nationwide to whoever's still watching your network. But sure, attributed WFOR. But who's the source? Who picked up the phone and gave the details to the journalists on this story? The teacher's union chief told the affiliate... The teacher's... Union 
chief. They don't have the details from the hospital or from the families of the teachers. They're reporting on four teachers who have died in a single day from COVID-19. Four, four, four people are dead, and that's a tragedy, and that's horrible. That is a personal tragedy for those teachers and their families, and it should not be turned into a political football to make a political point to attack the governor of Florida and the voters of Florida. And understand this, every time they attack the elected leader, ultimately they're attacking you for electing them, for voting for them, so, so for supporting them, for daring not to vote for the person they command you to vote for. So it is attack on you. If these four teachers are dead and it appears that they are, that's terrible. And I'm sad for them and I'm sad for their family. I would be angry if I were their surviving family that their deaths are now being used for a political game. And most specifically used by the union chief. As we now learn, that's the source of this story that you're about to hear. I'm going to let you finish here, CNN, but it's important to point that out. The source is the union chief. FOR is reporting that four teachers from Broward County have died of COVID in a single day. The teachers union chief told the affiliate that three of the four, at least three of the four, were unvaccinated. The status of the fourth not currently known. Let me pause there because we've learned a lot today. We've learned a lot since this was reported this morning on CNN. In fact, we've learned now that that fourth person, well, I don't know if it's the fourth person that they don't know about the vaccination process, but one of the four is in fact not a teacher. So the story about four teachers dying of COVID today in Broward County from COVID is actually a story about three teachers, but that's a fact they didn't get right. And that they're unvaccinated. Well, that's an interesting point, isn't it? That's an interesting point because, you know, these are this is being reported by the teachers union. And it's been re- being reported, and let's face it, it's framed in such a way to suggest that things are dire in Florida. Governor DeSantis is now trying to push back on mask mandates for students in classrooms. So it's being framed in such a way as our teachers are dying and it's Ron DeSantis's fault. And we're told that the teachers are victims of all of these crazy right wing governors who are putting them in harm's way. And the teachers are pure and pristine because their union said so. Why didn't they get vaccinated? Why didn't these, in most jurisdictions, maybe not Florida because they were sane, but in most jurisdictions in this country, the vaccination uh, process and protocols included teachers jumping to the front of the line. Teachers demanded the vaccine. We must get that. How dare you give the vaccine to anyone before you give it to teachers? Don't you see the danger we're in, the grave danger we're in, sitting in our living rooms on a Zoom call with our laptop? We must have the vaccine. Why are these teachers not vaccinated? Fascinating note there. I think the teachers union chief should comment on that, shouldn't she or he? The county, of course, in a tense standoff with Governor Ron DeSantis over masks. Oh, there it is. There it is. Let me tell you something. If this were not Broward County, if this happened in Manhattan, if it happened in New York City, this would not get reported. Four teachers dying of COVID on the same day in New York City would not get reported. It gets reported on CNN because of that element right there that you just heard. 
The status of the fourth not currently known. The county, of course, in a tense standoff with Governor Ron DeSantis over masks. DeSantis is threatening the district for, for requiring masks be worn in the schools. Now, now you're a smart person, and I know that you know the news, and I know that you follow the news. But, but uh, you would be forgiven by hearing that story and that framing to walk away with the conclusion, gee, maybe Governor DeSantis should rethink this policy about masks in the classroom, considering four teachers just died of COVID in just one day, and it just so happened it, it occurred in a county that, as your CNN-trusted reporter just delivered to you via teleprompter, are in a heated, a heated fight with the governor over those policies. See, the county wants to make the kids wear the masks. The governor wants parents to decide whether the kids wear the masks. And while that fight is going on, here we've got four teachers who have died from COVID. So you see what this story is all about. You see how they've reported the story. You see what they're trying to do with the narrative of this story. Now, a couple things. First, as I mentioned, it's not four teachers, it's three teachers, number one. Number two, they're unvaccinated, which I think is a pretty important element to the story. And number three, and finally, most importantly, number three. What day is it? I know it's Friday, but, but, but what's the date? It's the 14th of August. Excuse me, 13th of August. 13th of August. How many of you have kids in the classroom right now? Are your kids in school right now? I mean, there may be a couple of school districts that started this early, really early. But, but let me tell you something. In Broward County, Florida, where this story took place, where these teachers caught COVID, and let's say, if they died from COVID today, it means they caught it well, a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. In Broward County, Florida, school is not in session. In Broward County, Florida, there are no kids in the classroom not wearing masks because of Governor DeSantis because there are no kids in the classroom at all. So let me start this report, so-called, from CNN one more time. But before I let them deliver the news to you, let me give you the important facts that you need to know. The people in question who have died from COVID, tragically, were not vaccinated. They were not all four of them teachers. And they have not worked in a classroom with children, masked or unmasked, during the entire time they got the virus and died from the virus. Now listen to the story again. All right, more breaking news. We have a sad development we just learned of out of Florida. WFOR is reporting that four teachers from Broward County have died of COVID in a single day. The teacher's union chief told the affiliate that three of the four, at least three of the four, were unvaccinated. The status of the fourth not currently known. The county, of course, in a tense standoff with Governor Ron DeSantis over masks. DeSantis is threatening the district for, for requiring masks be worn in the schools. Uh, since August 1st, we're told that Broward County had 138 employees test positive. That is stunning, right? Yeah, stunning, Brianna Keeler, stunning. They're not working in the schools right now. They're not in the classroom. 
The policy of kids wearing masks is completely and totally irrelevant. Ron DeSantis is completely and totally irrelevant to this story. For all we know, they caught the virus going to a bar on the beach. So why did they deliver that story? And why did they deliver it the way they did? You know why. And you wonder why the American people are mistrustful right now of the numbers we're getting, of the data that's being delivered to us. You wonder why we are suspicious and we've lost trust in the institutions of this nation, not just elected officials, because I'll be honest with you, I've, I've never really had much faith and trust in an elected official. Politicians are politicians. Don't put your faith in a politician. And then there's the bureaucracies. There's the alphabet soup institutions that are supposed to just call balls and strikes and give you the straight facts. And then you've got the media, their own alphabet soup of network letters. And they're supposed to just deliver the information to you. Who, what, when, and where? Oh, sure, we've got shows in primetime that have opinions, but not this. This is the morning news program on America's News Network, Cable News Network, America's most trusted name in news. And what did you just hear? in that 40-second news story. Was it news? Did it matter to you? Did it make a difference on this virus? Or was it a complete and total propaganda slime job to tarnish the governor of Florida and to escalate the fight about masks and mask mandates, where the governor of Florida has a really radical, disturbing idea that individual parents should be left with the right and responsibility of making decisions for their children, not handed down on high from the governor's office. Well, that's a dangerous, dangerous idea, isn't it? That's today in Florida. Next, we'll tell you about Texas. Again, the media. Again, lying to you, all for one reason and one reason only, to further politicize something that should never be anywhere near politics a virus, a disease, a pandemic, and how you make decisions about your personal health. And that's now politicized. And that's why we're angry. But if we shine the light on it and we expose their lies, that gives us the power we need. Texas is next. Just wait till you hear this story about the lies out of Texas, about your kids, about our kids and the virus. They'll stop at nothing. They'll lie about your kids. That's next. I'm Larry O'Connor. Thank you. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Yeah, by the way, CNN tweeted out this story about the uh, teachers dying and framing it all within, you know, the context of the mask policies. They've deleted the tweet. Isn't it amazing? Also, they're journalists. They're journalists. They're the media. They, they just disappear it. Oh, 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 pretend that didn't happen. Well, at the Texas Tribune, uh, there's no pretending this one didn't happen. Uh, this is the correct. Well, you know what? Before I read the correction they put, let me read you the, the lead of the article that they wrote. Texas Tribune. Estefani Lopez's 11-month-old baby was struggling to breathe. The little girl, Ava Rivera, had contracted COVID-19 and began having seizures. Then her pulse weakened. Her mom couldn't feel her taking breaths anymore. Lopez rushed her to an emergency room where the staff began initial treatments, putting tubes down her throat to pump her lungs with oxygen. But the baby's condition required care at a pediatric hospital, and none of the ones in the Houston area could take her in. They were full. Now, 
Now, I'm not mocking the tragedy of an 11-month-old getting sick and having trouble breathing and all of that. That's horrible. No, I'm mocking the breathless reporting here because it's clear what's trying to be accomplished. The, the goal here, the objective of this story is not to tell you the story of this little girl, this little baby who's dying. No, the objective is to anger you, to terrify you, to frighten you, and to get you ticked off at your elected officials, specifically in Texas, the Republican governor, Greg Abbott, because hospitals are overrun by children. It's to send the message to you that hospitals are overrun by children who have caught the virus. Now, we know that the numbers, God bless us, thank you for this virus, has spared children. Children have not suffered from this virus. So this would be a huge story. If, if the narrative of this story supported this opening of this child, this, this one child who has had this problem. Now I will read you the correction that they had to put to this story. Are you ready for this correction? This is the most epic monumental correction you will ever hear. An earlier version of this story overstated the number of children who have been hospitalized in Texas recently with COVID-19. The story said over 5,800 children have been hospitalized during a seven-day period in August. That's huge, right? My God, I, I'm pausing now in the middle of the correction. The story said, after that breathless, dramatic narrative that I just began with, the first two paragraphs, that in the last week, 5,800 kids in the state of Texas had been put in the hospital because of COVID-19. Let me continue with the correction now. That number correctly referred to children hospitalized with COVID-19 since the pandemic began. So not one week. Not 52 weeks, not 70 weeks. That's how many kids have been hospitalized in Texas since the early March of 2020, a year and a half. That's a hell of a mistake, isn't it? But it fit their narrative. By the way, they go on to say, in actuality, 783 children were admitted in Texas hospitals between July 1st and August 9th. So even in the correction, they're not giving you the accurate number of how many were hospitalized in the week in question. First, they said it was 5,800. Now they're telling you 780, but 780 goes all the way back to July 1st, so it's really a six-week window. They are lying, they are lying, they are lying, and it's all to make you angry and terrified, and we won't let them. Because we have the truth, and you'll hear more of it about the vaccines next on The Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Mark Levin, the modern voice of the Founding Fathers. This is the Mark Levin Show. Dial in now at 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin. Follow me on Twitter, Larry O'Connor, O-R, Larry O'Connor. Uh, also find Mark Levin at Mark Levin Show on Parlor and Rumble. I am a radio host on WMAL in Washington, D.C. Uh, in fact, I'm Mark Levin's morning show. If he turns on the radio to listen to the radio in the morning, uh, in his where, where he lives in the Washington area, he hears me. So if I'm good enough for the great one, 
I would think I'm good enough for you. You can start your day with me as well. They're streaming uh, live every morning from 5 to 9 a.m. or on the podcast. I'd appreciate it if you uh, if you did that and reached out on Twitter as well. I do uh, read all of my re- reactions and responses there. Uh, we're talking about the lies. The lies. We just talked about the lies about the COVID cases, the COVID deaths, the COVID hospitalizations. They're lying, and they most specifically lie about uh, Florida and Texas, and that's because they shoot everything through the lens of partisan political politics. That's why they lie, because, well, last year they had an election to win, and this year they have a president to prop up. The bottom line. By the way, I mentioned I I look at my social media, and I do on a regular basis. uh, uh, Somebody uh, naming themselves Brimstone on Twitter uh, uh, reached out to me and makes a very good point about CNN. You know, I played this article or this this clip this morning where they talk about these these four deaths in Broward County, Florida, and they make it sound as though these teachers died because of Governor Death Santis. And his refusal to force children to wear masks in the classroom. And here's four teachers now who have died on the same day. That's how they framed the story. Not in those exact words, but that's basically how they framed it. And, of course, I point out, well, first of all, these parent, these teachers, not all four of them were uh, teachers, or three of them were teachers. Uh, they weren't vaccinated, which is their personal responsibility, right? And teachers were demanding through their union that they get first in line You know, before your grandparents got vaccinated, the most vulnerable, those teachers had to get vaccinated. And so they still have not availed themselves of it. And they probably contracted it a week or so ago. And oh, by the way, class is not in session. There are no kids in the classroom, regardless of whether they're wearing masks right now or not. So if the parent, these teachers got sick and died of COVID, it has literally nothing to do with the classroom students, masks and Governor Ron DeSantis. But see, they delivered that story. And and this guy Brimstone on Twitter points out, hey, CNN, how many stories have you done like this about the nursing home deaths under Andrew Cuomo? We had thousands of people die due to horrific, deadly, uh, 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 bad decisions, horrible decisions, mismanagement, lack of leadership negligent decisions from that governor. Where are all the stories wringing your hands about that? But no, these four teachers who literally had nothing to do with the classroom or the mass policy of the governor, we got to stop and we got to deliver that story with a breaking news. It was breaking news. They were breaking news when they refused to report on the nursing home deaths. A great point there, Mr. Brimstone, if that's your real name. And then there's the vaccines, and, and here's the thing. It, it, it's just a freaking minefield anytime someone like me on the radio or wherever in the media wants to talk about these vaccines and about the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. So let me be clear here. Uh, like Mark, I'm a Mark and I, we're friends actually, we've talked about stuff like this before. Uh, I, I am vaccinated. I did the research. I looked at it. I know where I am in my life with my own health situation, where my wife is and where my children are. And for our own purposes, and I'll get into them for you if you'd like to some other time, not in this forum. But but I have in the past. I've been very public about the reasons that I did. And I've been vaccinated. My children have been vaccinated. We've all been vaccinated. And I think right now what we're seeing with regard to people who are vaccinated, yes, they still get the virus, 
But it's it you know I, I think the last statistic was ninety five to ninety nine percent of people who are hospitalized with the virus right now are unvaccinated. I I think that sends a pretty clear message about it. But I don't want to get into the debate about it. I really don't. I just like to be upfront and tell you where I stand on my personal health decisions on the vaccine. Okay, and I would never push my opinion about that on you. It's your health. It's your body, for God's sake. No, I'm more interested in our elected officials, our government entities, and our media politicizing that personal health decision that we all make for ourselves and shooting it through the lens of partisan, political, conservative versus Republican uh, ideas. What is the dominant narrative from this White House, from this president, from his political party, and from the propagandists owned by corporations who call themselves the mainstream media right now. The narrative is, it's the pandemic of the unvaccinated, and those unvaccinated people are putting us vaccinated elites, the sophisticated one. Isn't that what they were called by the New York Times reporter when they went to Obama's party without masks? The sophisticated ones. We're sophisticated, and we're in danger because of these knuckle-dragging, Neanderthal, Trump-supporting, anti-scientist, conservative Republicans in the redneck, podunk states in the South. That's the narrative they'll tell you. That's the narrative they'll tell you. Except once in a while, they actually deliver the facts. New York Times yesterday, only 27% of black New Yorkers, young black New Yorkers, are fully vaccinated, data shows. Many say they fear that during these uncertain times, they could not trust the government with their health. Only 27% of young black New York. Now listen, I know that Donald Trump made great inroads with black voters this last time around. I know that he had more black voters in the 2020 election than any Republican candidate for president since 1960. But I don't think he did so well that he got 73% of young black New Yorkers to vote for him. I don't think by any objective observation you can say that the concern over 27% of young black New Yorkers fully vaccinated is, is rooted in their love for Donald Trump. So what's really at play here? Well, the data shows it, as the story says. They think they can't trust their government with their health. And we knew this. We knew this based on reporting and research over a year ago. That when we had a vaccine, there was going to be resistance in minority communities about this for many reasons. In the Latino community, there's also resistance, and that has to do with faith-based concerns, with religious concerns, with the fact that stem cells were used uh, with, with some of these vaccines, either for testing or for, in, in the case of one of the vaccines, actual development of the vaccine. And, and that, that is a faith-based issue that the Latino population is going to have concerns over. And with the Tuskegee experiments and the dark, horrible history of the federal government doing horrific things, in the, in the name of medicine to African-Americans in this country, it makes sense. We knew this. I'm not justifying. I, I, think, it's, I, I think it's terrible. And, and, I, and, I, and I wish that the members of the African-American community and the Latin, Latino community did their due diligence, and I want them to get good facts and good information and good medical advice on this and make a good, healthy choice for themselves and not just immediately distrust the government. But we are fools if we don't recognize that that distrust is there. It was there. What has the government done about it? It's not like this is a surprise. It's not like it snuck up. 
And what are they doing about it? They're saying nothing about it. They're not doing any messaging about it. The only message you hear from them is that you're at fault because you're a conservative and you're a Republican and you supported Donald Trump. Me, I see the vaccine as a triumph of Donald Trump. It's a miracle that we got Donald Trump through Operation Warp Speed and his team got the vaccine to market. The problem is it was then handed off to this guy to actually distribute it. That's where things started to come off the rails. As a, as a conservative Republican who watched this entire thing go by, first of all, I don't think this should be viewed through the political lens in any way whatsoever. It's a health concern. But if there is any politics behind the vaccine, it's a triumphal success of President Trump and an absolute disaster of the Biden administration who immediately politicized it. They politicized it from day one. He said, well, our goal in 100 days is to try to get 100 million shots, but I don't know if we're going to be able to do it because we inherited a mess here. They were already on pace to do 100 million shots in 100 days because the day he became president by being sworn in there, we were doing a million a day. So they politicized it. They drew lines and pitted us against each other. And that's where I'm going with this thesis here. Let's be clear. If their goal is to get everybody vaccinated, they would do the exact opposite of everything they've done. Last week, the CDC reversed their mask policy, right? Last week, they said, if you're vaccinated, you still have to wear a mask when you go indoors. Now, make no mistake, when Biden announced in May, when he took credit for Donald Trump's vaccine success, and in May, he said, because we reached a certain threshold with vaccines in this country, we now, if you're vaccinated, you don't have, remember, get the vax, no mask, right? That was the bell. Oh, that's brilliant messaging right there. Who wrote that? Is that Hemingway or is that Longfellow? No, get the vax, no mask. But the message was, I'm Joe Biden. I have triumphed because of my incredible success. If you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear the mask. And there were celebrations everywhere. Now, when they reversed the policy and said, well, because we've got a problem here, even if you're vaccinated, you have to wear the mask. Was that shot through the lens of, oh, well, this must be a failure. This is Joe Biden's failure. He did his victory lap when you could take the mask off. But now, whose fault is it? It's, apparently, it's not his fault if you have to put the mask back on. No. Nope. So what are we to make of of? They're messaging over masking, over the vaccines, over what they're calling you and the names. Does any of this compel people to get vaccinated? Does Anthony Fauci going on Stephanopoulos or Chuck Todd or whatever other Sunday show that nobody watches, does that convince anyone who's not vaccinated? Of course not. It doesn't do that. Does, does Nancy Pelosi calling Kevin McCarthy a moron because he's questioning her policies with regard to masks on the floor of the House of Representatives, does that compel people to get vaccinated? Of course not. The greatest argument for getting people vaccinated is to point out that 95 to 99 percent of the COVID hospitalizations are the unvaccinated. That should be the items A through Z coming out of this White House if the goal is to get you vaccinated. But clearly, since that's not what they're saying, that's not the goal. Messaging is a little pretty confusing unless you actually figure out what the goal is. 
Who is the left in this country, and how do they get what they want politically? The left embodied right now in the Democratic Party, how do they win? They win by dividing us. They've done it for decades. They divide us over race. They divide us over class, right? We're Americans. The class is an adopted notion from old-time European politics. We don't talk class in America, but now class, or the upper class and the middle class and the lower class and the class this and class that south. Why do we talk class in this country all of a sudden? It's the left. They divide us by class. The one percenters, right? One percenters are this and one percenters, and if you're not a one percenter, then they are against you. They continue to divide us from economic strata, from by race, by gender, by sex, by, by sexual preference, by ethnicity, by religion, by faith. They win by dividing us and making us angry at each other. And now they figured out a new way to divide us by the virus. They're now going to try to divide us by the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. They want us angry at each other. If you think, if you look at their policies right now and the way they message their policies directly from the White House or through Anthony Fauci or whatever person who represents the the healthcare bureaucracy of the federal government, or if you look at the elected leaders, or if you look at the people in the media and the pop culture and the late night shows, who has a lot of influence, don't, don't think they don't, and you look at how they talk about this issue right now, what they are saying and the way they are saying it is not compelling unvaccinated people to get vaccinated. But if you think to yourself, gee, if their plan, if their goal is to divide us and make us angry at each other, well, then everything they're doing makes sense. Then every, you know what would go a long way in getting unvaccinated people vaccinated right now? Joe Biden and Kamala Harris doing a joint address to the nation saying, my fellow Americans, we lied to you. We were wrong. We sowed doubt and mistrust in Donald Trump and this vaccine during the 2020 election, and we did it for the most craven, despicable reasons. We wanted your vote, and we wanted you to mistrust Donald Trump. And we preyed on your fear during a pandemic, and we lied to you and told you that you couldn't trust this vaccine as long as Donald Trump was president. That's how craven and despicable we were. We wanted the presidency so bad that we were willing to lie about the vaccine to get you to reject Donald Trump and vote for us and make us president. And now we're in office. We got there. Come hell or high water through extraordinary means, we got there. And to get here, part of the way we got here was to sow doubt and fear and loathing in the American public surrounded by this vaccine. And we were wrong and we shouldn't have done it. I mean, mission accomplished. We're living in the big house, baby. We're not going to give it back. But now we can tell you there was nothing to be afraid of. There was nothing to be worried about. It was just pure, craven, despicable politics. We were wrong. We shouldn't have done it. Donald Trump should be commended. Thank God he was there. Thank God he got Operation Warp Speed. Thank God he defied us and, and Fauci and all the critics who said we could never get the vaccine in time. He did it. He alone did it. We should build a statue to the guy because of it. There was never a reason to be afraid. 
get vaccinated. That would go a long way. But they won't say it. Because their goal is not to get you vaccinated. Their goal is to get you angry. Well, baby, mission accomplished. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin. Mark Levin. Well, it's almost a wrap here on this Friday edition of the Mark Levin Show. Once again, thank you so much for uh, listening. I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin. Uh, a quick thing about Mark, because uh, he doesn't get enough credit. He is one of the most generous, uh, delightful, uh, warm heart. I'm, I know I'm totally ruining his cr- credentials here. He's so warm. He's so supportive. There are so many of us in this industry that he has helped, uh, mentored, given advice to, and uh, and we owe so much to him. Uh, and, and the least of which is letting us fill in for him. Thank you, Mark, for letting me do this today. Buy his book. It's incredible. American Marxism. Get it for yourself. Get it for your kids and your grandkids. Send it with them to college and then talk to them about it. Chapter by chapter every week. It'll give them a reason to call you. And also make sure you watch Life, Liberty and Levin this Sunday, 8 p.m. on Fox News. Stephen Moore and Stephen Miller will be the guests. And if you like what you heard, and I hope you did, uh, follow me on Twitter, Larry O'Connor, and check out my podcast. I'm on WMAL in Washington, D.C. It's Larry O'Connor. You have a great weekend. Thank you so much.